welcome back to Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'm Dr. Jeff, and this is my podcast that's mostly for the parents of children who are being treated for cancer or leukemia, but it's also for anyone else who's interested. Anyway, today I'm doing my fifth episode on personalised medicine, also known as personalised oncology. And before I go on, I'd say two things. One is that you really need to listen to the first four episodes on this subject so that you'll know what I'm talking about. And the second thing to say is that these episodes on personalised medicine, well, they're not for everyone. If you're just trying to get your head around childhood cancer and the treatment and day-to-day life, this mightn't be for you. This is a bit more sort of technical, complicated and not necessarily everyone's cup of tea. But anyway, I'll go on. But just to remind you of a few things from those episodes, the first is to say that personalised oncology, personalised medicine, essentially it's about analysing a particular patient's tumour in great, great detail using all the new scientific techniques that we have that can look at DNA and RNA and proteins in huge, great detail that we could never do before. And the idea is to find something about the particular tumour that indicates, well, what drug might work. So to identify some particular abnormality that suggests that a given treatment might work. And that's what personalised oncology is all about, basically. And the other thing, just to remind you of, from those earlier episodes, is that in every cell we have big, long strings of DNA. And DNA is made up of things called bases, also called nucleotides. But the sequence of those bases or nucleotides provides the recipe for a given gene. And a gene is the recipe that will eventually lead to a protein. So the DNA in this strip called a gene will be copied to an RNA equivalent And then the RNA will go elsewhere in the cell and will be used as the recipe to make the protein. And then the finished protein will do whatever it's meant to do. And so if you mess up certain genes in the wrong way, well, that is something that can cause cancer. Now, the other thing to remind you of was my silly model in my fourth episode on this subject, which talked about the DNA as a big, long piece of string. And most of the time the string was white and was made up of DNA that didn't really code for anything. But every now and then there was a little strip of string that was red. And each little red strip was a strip of DNA that had the recipe for one protein. And so those little red bits, well, they were each genes. And then in between the genes were the strips of non-coding DNA. And I also mentioned these little green men who would go along the string and copy the red bits into RNA and then send it off to make a protein. And finally, I had a little purple lady in my model. And the little purple lady stood at each gene, stood at the start of each gene to tell the little green men how many copies of the gene should you make. So how many RNA copies of each gene should be made. And the little purple lady was getting messages from all over the place to tell her to make more or less of a given gene into RNA and then to make a protein. 
And so then I described all of the things that can go wrong in this system. So first off, a given gene, a given little area of red string could just be missing completely. So that would be called a gene deletion. Or it could be present in too many copies. So there could be too many copies of a given gene. Within the little area of red string, there could be some abnormality in the sequence of DNA. So there could be what you call a DNA mutation. And that mutation might end up producing a protein that doesn't work at all. Or it might produce a protein that works too strongly. Or it might just end up causing the protein not to be made at all. And all of these things can have differing effects. And if it's a protein that promotes cancer, well, you don't want it to be too active. Or if it's a protein that's there to stop cancer, well, you can imagine it's a problem if it's not working at all. So there are things that can go wrong with a given strip of red string, with a given gene. It can be a gene deletion, a gene amplification, or a mutation within the gene. The next thing that can go screwy is if the little purple lady misbehaves. If the little purple lady, for some reason, tells the little green men to make too many copies of the gene, well, then you can end up with too much of the finished protein, and that might be a bad thing. Or if the little purple lady goes to sleep and doesn't have any copies of a gene made, well, maybe that'll be a problem. And so the gene might be completely normal in its sequence, but if the cell makes too many copies of the gene into RNA, or too few copies, well, that can be a problem. And that can happen because of an abnormality somewhere else in the cell, not to do with that particular gene. It could be an abnormality elsewhere that somehow influences the little purple lady to make the wrong number of copies of the gene. And like I said, in this situation, the gene itself will be the right sequence. And the RNA that gets made will be the right sequence, but there'll be too many copies of the RNA and then too many copies of the protein, or too few copies of the RNA and too few copies of the protein. So they're the main sort of ways that DNA gets messed up and RNA and proteins get messed up in cells and sometimes lead to cancer and sometimes provide an opportunity to target the cancer cell and try to treat it. So in this episode today, now I want to talk about the various ways that we can test cancer cells to look for these abnormalities. And you might wonder, well, why am I talking about this? Why might it be relevant to someone whose child is being treated for cancer or leukaemia? Well, I guess this is mostly going to be something that you might need to know about in those situations where the treatment isn't working for a given cancer in a given child. So a patient where the standard treatments just aren't working, perhaps the cancer has relapsed and then relapsed again, or perhaps the treatment just didn't work at all, or perhaps even the doctors are saying, look, our existing treatments aren't very good at all and usually we're not able to cure this cancer. Well, in these situations, there's starting to be a bit of a movement towards analysing tumours in great detail and trying to find a way to treat a particular patient. Now, I wouldn't say it's established and locked in as the normal thing to do, but people are starting to look at it, and as parents start to wonder about, well, should we be you know, looking for this sort of technology and so on, well, it helps to know a bit about 
what the technologies are. So by no means would I be encouraging all the parents of all the patients to go out and get all these elaborate and expensive tests done, but from time to time it seems likely that they'll end up a place for this sort of tumour profiling. So today I just want to talk about some of the ways that these tumours can be tested to look for all of these abnormalities. So first off I'll talk about some of the testing that can be done at the DNA level in tumour cells. First off, a little bit of terminology though. So remember we've got a big long piece of string and the little red sections, they're the genes that will each code for one protein, right? So one will code for collagen, one for keratin, one for this chemical, one for that protein, one for another protein. Okay, so each red bit of string is called a single gene, And by the way, you normally have two copies of each gene, one from your mother and one from your father. So each of them is a gene. If you took all of the little red sections of string in the cell, so that's all of the genes that code for all of the proteins, well, that whole lot of string would be called the exome. The exome. Now, if you took all of the string, so including the non-coding white areas of string, and the coding red areas of string, well, that would be called the whole genome. The whole genome. So we have the whole genome, and that's made up of the non-coding DNA and the coding DNA, and all of the coding DNA put together is called the exome, and within the exome are multiple individual genes. So first let me talk about a test of a single gene. So in certain tumour types, we know that sometimes we find a particular abnormality of one particular gene and sometimes we've got a particular drug to treat it. So for instance in melanoma, adult cancer really, but we do see it in children, mostly in adults though, there's a particular abnormality of a gene called BRAF, capital B-R-A-F, the BRAF gene. Now there's a particular abnormality at position 600 of the BRAF gene. So it's called the V600E mutation of the BRAF gene. Now we know this occurs in about half of patients with melanoma. And so when we see a patient with melanoma, well we can have the tumour tested just for that one particular gene, the BRAF gene. And if we find this abnormality, well, there's a whole class of drugs called BRAF inhibitors that we can use to try to treat the melanoma. In certain cases of lung cancer and in certain childhood cases of lymphoma and neuroblastoma, we sometimes find an abnormality of a different gene, a gene called ALK, A-L-K, the ALK gene. And there's a whole class of drugs called ALK inhibitors, so drugs that have been designed particularly to treat cancer cells that have an abnormality in the ALK gene. So if we have these particular types of cancer, we can order from the lab a test of the ALK mutation. We can look for a mutation in the ALK gene. And when we order this test, they'll take some tumour cells, they'll extract the DNA from them, and then they'll work out the sequence of the ALK gene using very complicated lab techniques. And then they can tell you, is there an ALK mutation? Or does the ALK gene look like it's really got the right recipe and so not as likely to be a candidate for treatment with the ALK inhibitor drugs? 
So they're two examples of just doing a single gene test in a particular type of cancer. And so the question arises, well, when should you have one of these tests done and in what disease, etc.? Well, that's really something that your oncology doctors really need to be across and they'll know in which diseases we typically look for a particular abnormality and mostly it's a case of knowing which tumour types have a particular gene abnormality and is it of any relevance. So for years we've been testing leukaemia, for instance, acute lymphoblastic leukaemia, to look for abnormalities of the BCR ABLE gene or to look at the MLL gene. There's all sorts of single gene tests we've been doing for years and years and years. But more and more there's new single gene tests coming out and they're being discovered in different tumours and there's different drugs for them. And you have to rely on your doctors really to know what tumour types are the ones and what genes should be tested for. Now the next sort of test you can do at the DNA level on tumours is what you call a targeted panel. So a targeted panel is a test of uh, multiple different genes to look for abnormalities in them. And there's various different panels out there. There's panels that have 50 different genes on them or 75 different genes. There's one called the Oncocarta panel. And then there's gene panels that various different commercial operations are offering. And most of the time, these are tests where the tumour is tested for an abnormality in this collection of particular genes. And the genes have been chosen because they tend to be mutated or abnormal in some other way in cancer and because abnormalities in these genes are helpful in determining whether a given treatment will work or not. So they haven't just selected 50 or 75 or 100 genes at random. No, they're cancer-related genes. So they're genes that are commonly found to be abnormal And when you do find those abnormalities, it can help you work out how to treat the cancer. So that's called a targeted panel. And like I said, there's various different ones of these panels out there. Most of them have been drawn up, the standard ones, for adult cancer, not paediatric cancer. But various different units might have what you call a custom panel, a panel that's been drawn up particularly for paediatric cancers or particularly for brain tumours. You know, it depends. So with this sort of testing, a sample of the tumour would be sent off to the lab and then they're going to take some time to do the test. I don't know how long they'll take. It might be a week or two or three, something like that. And then they'll issue a report and it'll list all of the genes and then say whether any of them had a particular abnormality that was found. So it's a bit more of a fishing expedition, I guess. Instead of identifying for a particular tumour that, you know, one particular gene is the candidate gene to look for. It's a case of sending the tumour off and testing it for multiple different genes and just seeing what shows up. And very often, most of the genes are going to come back without any abnormality, but you just might find an abnormality that tells you, well, you could try a particular treatment and maybe it's got a better chance of working. Or maybe you'll find a gene abnormality that says, well, no, a certain treatment won't work. You better try something different. All right, so I've discussed a single gene test and then I've discussed a multiple gene test, a targeted panel of maybe 50 or 75 or 100 genes. Now, the next option is to test all of the genes in the cell. So to work out if there are mutations in any of the genes in the cell. 
So now we're talking about all the little bits of red string in the cell, all of them. And so we're talking about DNA sequencing of the whole exome. Remember I said the exome is all of the genes analysed together. So that's whole exome sequencing. So it's commonly abbreviated WES, whole exome sequencing. Now this is a much bigger job because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of genes. So it's a much bigger job and it's a much more expensive technology to perform. In addition, it's very complicated to analyse it because you get a lot of information back and a lot of the information you get isn't particularly relevant. It's what you call background noise, abnormalities in certain genes that are not of any particular relevance. Plus you get DNA changes in genes from one person to the next and they can all be just sort of variations on the normal. So they're not necessarily a mutation in a gene, just some changes that some people have compared to some other people. And so you need these very clever people called bioinformaticians and they're people that can take these huge amounts of data, all this DNA sequencing on every gene in the tumour and work out, well, what might be relevant and what's completely irrelevant and try to come up with some sense of what does it all mean. And to go to the next level, even more complicated, is to do what we call whole genome sequencing. So remember I explained that the genome is all the bits of white string and all of the bits of red string. So it's all of the DNA that doesn't code for anything plus all the DNA that does code for things. So it's the whole exome plus all of the non-coding DNA. So that's much, much more DNA than we had in the whole exome sequencing. That's whole genome sequencing. And so even more, you get a whole lot of information and you need bioinformaticians to plough through it all with huge, great supercomputers and work out, well, what's relevant, what's not, what means something, what might it suggest as something that you could use as a treatment. And these are very, very complicated things. Not every oncologist in every hospital is going to have a clue how to respond to this sort of information and data. It's a very new area and doctors are really just starting to get their heads around it. So they're the main ways we can analyse the DNA of tumour cells and see whether the results suggest some way to treat the tumour. So again, we can do a single gene test. We can do a sort of targeted panel of 50 or 75 genes that we know are commonly abnormal in cancer. Or we can do a whole exome sequencing, huge amount of data, very expensive, difficult to interpret. Or beyond that, we can do the whole genome. And that's a massive amount of data, very expensive, and again, very complicated to try to analyse and come up with anything sensible from it. Just to make it more complicated, remember that when we send a piece of tumour to the lab, it's a mixture of tumour cells and normal cells, right? A, a biopsy has some normal cells in it and it has some tumour cells in it. And you need to know, well, is the biopsy mostly made up of tumour cells or is it mostly made up of normal cells? And even within the tumour cells, well, some tumour cells will have a particular DNA abnormality, a mutation or a deletion or something, and some tumour cells might not. Cancer cells aren't all exactly the same as each other. So you have to look at what level of 
coverage is being achieved. So you talk about whether the coverage of the DNA sequence is 10x or 50x or 100x. And the more x you have, the greater your chances really of finding you know, that population of cells in there that have a particular DNA abnormality. At the same time, the more coverage you go for, well, the more expensive it's going to be and the more data you generate, etc. So it's all pretty complicated. All right, so that's a basic introduction to the tests we can do on the DNA of the cells. Next, I want to talk about some other things that can go wrong. So remember that DNA gets copied to RNA, and then the RNA gets copied to proteins. So the little green men do the copying, and the little purple lady tells you how many copies to make. Well, things can go wrong here, even though you have a perfectly normal DNA sequence. So next I want to mention some tests at the RNA level that can be done. So firstly, there's tests that look at, well, how many copies of the RNA are being made for each gene. And that's what you call gene expression, how many copies of the RNA are being made, whether they're normal or not. And so here we have a technique called microarray analysis, and there's a bunch of different companies that provide this technology for microarray analysis. And if you've ever seen articles on this, they have these huge great graphs and pictures with red dots and green dots and one coloured dot means that the RNA is increased compared to normal tissues and the other coloured dot means that the RNA is decreased to normal tissues. And again, supercomputers are used to analyse it all and try to work out some sort of a pattern and see what's going on. It gives you some sort of clue about how is the cell deranged, what's screwed up in this tumour cell and does it provide some sort of insight as to how to treat it. So that's the RNA levels of various different genes. And even more information on what's happening at the RNA level can be detected using a laboratory technique called RNA sequencing or RNA-seq. That's capitals, RNA, and then lowercase s-e-q, RNA-seq. And RNA-seq will also provide information about how many copies of RNA are being made for every gene, but they'll also indicate various abnormalities in the sequence of the gene and all sorts of other information. So these are the tests that can be done at the RNA level to look for whether there are too many or too few copies of RNA being made, plus abnormalities in the actual RNA sequence. And again, in these situations, we're testing hundreds and thousands of different RNA transcripts, and so we end up with huge amounts of data, huge amounts of effort to go through to work out what's meaningful and what's not. Okay, so that's DNA and RNA that I've discussed. Now, the next one to talk about is something I haven't mentioned yet, and that's called methylation. Methylation means attaching a little chemical to the DNA called a methyl group. Now, you know the purple lady? The purple lady is the promoter for a given gene. Remember, she's the one that's saying how many copies of the gene to make. Well, methylation is something that happens around that region where the purple lady is, and it has an effect of influencing how many copies are made or not. So, for instance, for some genes, 
If the purple lady, the promoter, gets methylated, well, that switches off expression of the gene. So you don't get the gene copied to RNA and then to protein. So methylation of genes is an important way that the activity of a particular gene is controlled. And so there's a particular way of analysing methylation. Uh, For instance, there's a chip called the Illumina 450K methylation chip. And again, you take some of the tumour, you process it, put it through this system, and it tells you where all the methylation sites are in the tumour cells, and that again provides some information. Super complicated stuff, but it can provide some information about the tumour, what's messed up, what's normal, and what might be a way to treat it. Now, the final one for me to mention today is analysing tumours at the protein level. And remember, the proteins are the end product of this whole DNA-RNA thing. So you end up with proteins, and proteins that don't work properly or work too much or are present too much or too little, these are the sort of abnormalities that can cause cancer and sometimes can be targeted with some of these clever new drugs. Now, the main way that we look at proteins in tumour cells when we're doing this sort of personalised medicine, tumour profiling, is with a microscope. So what happens in these situations is that we're looking to see if a particular protein is present within the tumour cells, for instance. And what we'll have is an antibody against that protein, and the antibody will have a colour attached to it. And so we'll take a slice of the tumour, put it on a microscope slide, and then add the antibody to the slide, and if the protein is present in the tumour cells, well, the colour from the stain will show up in the tumour cells. So, for instance, back with that protein I mentioned before, the ALK protein that we see in some of the childhood lymphomas, well, to look for the ALK protein, we'll get our anti-ALK antibody, and it'll have a brown stain attached to it, and we'll add it to the tumour cells and then look at them with the microscope, And if all the cells light up with the brown colour, well, then we'll know that ALK is present at increased amounts within the tumour cells. And that's a process called immunohistochemistry. Immunohistochemistry, or IHC. That's the process of staining cells with antibodies to see if a particular protein is present. And this immunohistochemistry is a very routine and basic procedure that's been performed in pathology labs for decades. We've been doing this for years and years and years. What's new in this situation is the idea of staining tumour cells with a whole extended panel of antibodies to try to find a clue about how to treat the cancer better. And various commercial labs, for instance, offer a panel of 25 or 35 or 50 of these antibodies and they'll stain the tumour with all of them and report what's elevated and what's decreased, what's present, what's absent and all of this information can sometimes be helpful for working out whether a particular drug might work. Now again, a lot of those panels have been worked out in adult types of cancer and Whether they will be applicable in paediatric cancer isn't necessarily clear. 
but the panels exist. Various people offer different panels of 20 or 30 or 50 antibodies to stain tumour cells with and see what's there. Again, it's a bit of a fishing expedition looking for some sort of clue about how can we treat this particular cancer in this particular patient. So just to go over all of this one more time, like I've said, we can look at tumour cells at the DNA level and we can look at single genes or maybe a panel of 50 or 100 genes or we can look at the whole exome, that's every gene, or we can look at the whole genome, that's every gene plus all of the non-coding DNA. Next we can look at the tumour cells at the RNA level, look at how much RNA is being made of every particular gene and whether the RNA is normal or whether it's screwed up in some other way. We can look at the methylation sites in the tumour cells. We can use a methylation chip because the methylation affects the promoter region of particular genes. And then we can look at the proteins themselves, and mostly we do that using a microscope and immunohistochemistry, looking at individual proteins on each slide. There's some other techniques, western blots and proteomics, but mostly it's this immunohistochemistry. And I really need to stress that these super comprehensive, extensive analyses of tumour cells are by no means the routine thing to do. These are things that are the subject of research, a lot of research that's taking place, but they're not exactly locked in and established as standard things to do, and many of them are very expensive tests indeed. For many of these sets of analyses, they really should be being done within research trials so that we can really work out what's appropriate, what's not, what's useful, what's useless, etc., but in these big research studies, oftentimes they'll have some sort of combination of all of these tests. For instance, I've seen some research groups that are doing a combination of analyses that includes whole exome sequencing, a methylation chip, the RNA-seq test, and they put all of that together to try to find out a way to treat the tumour. So there's one sort of combination, whole exome sequencing, methylation chip, RNA-seq, and then maybe immunohistochemistry to confirm whatever they found. Then there's different commercial operations out there, and some of them are very reputable groups, and they'll offer different combinations of things. Some might just do a targeted panel of DNA mutations looking at cancer-related genes. Some might do a more extensive panel. Some might have a specifically breast cancer panel or a colorectal cancer panel or a hematologic malignancy panel. There's all sorts of combinations out there. Furthermore, this is a particularly new area in oncology, this profiling of tumours in such detail. I would suggest that the great majority of oncologists aren't going to be particularly familiar with how to do these tests, what tests to do, and how to respond to them. These are really very specialised areas, and most of the oncology community are still on something of a steep learning curve, getting their heads around it all. And so it's certainly not a good idea to just go to your doctors and say, hey doc, we want whole exome sequencing done, please. No, a better approach would be to talk to your doctors about whether there's any additional sorts of testing of the tumour that might be relevant, any particular gene tests that should be done and see if they've already been done or if there's something new in the literature to indicate some further testing that might be appropriate.
A lot of this is still really very experimental, particularly in paediatric cancer. Anyway, I hope this has made sense. My head's spinning, I've got to say. It's so complicated to get your head around all of these different technologies, not to mention the huge amounts of data that gets spat out of the computer at the other end. So leave me a message on the Facebook site if it's made sense or if it hasn't and if I've just totally confused you as much as I've confused myself. But for now, thanks for tuning in to this episode of Understanding Childhood Cancer. I'll get on and talk a little bit later on about, well, where can you get these sorts of tests done and who's offering them and so on. But for now, I'll talk to you next time. Bye now.